Welcome to the Mom's On Call podcast. And we know that you are busy. And as promised, we're going to give you something to take away right now in these first five minutes. Do you have little ones under 12 weeks old? Then there's a few things that have helped us to get these babies to sleep and give you some predictability in your routine. Right. Three magic things. Right. Especially because creating habits is so important. So we want sustainable habits. Sustainable. We want a consistent routine a right-hand line and a left-hand line. That way we can just kind of stay in the middle. So consistency is key. And that mom's on call swaddle, it has to be tight in the right places. As pediatric nurses, we developed something that helped to get those arms out of the way, tucks them kind of right behind their little hips, and helps them to sleep because they have this startle reflex till they're almost three months old. Yeah, and, and you it's can, hard to sleep when your arms is. flying out to the side all of a sudden. And you can see that video <laughs> over at momsoncall.com. It really is great. Do it just like, and you have to practice. So there's a lot of time that you have to put in at the front end, but it results in so much sleep. We don't want to toot our own horn, but it works. We've tried every swaddle out there. That's right. And then the right white noise machine. It needs to be a high-quality white noise machine placed about 24 inches from the head of the crib. That's our secrets. And when we put these really simple things in place, they're nice and snug. The white noise machine is going. It's like we recreate the environment of the womb. They can just relax. And then so can you. That's right. And the consistent routine gives you some freedom and predictability. It's how they tell time. So make sure you put these things in place. And that'll begin to create a a foundation that's just going to allow for better feedings and better sleep. (laughs) And then you can have a baby that's sleeping like all the people you see on our Instagram, (laughs) all the things that you read about moms on call like that. Those are the basics. You've got this. Whoever said babies and toddlers don't come with an instruction manual never met the Moms on Call. They have helped over half a million families navigate parenthood with their best-selling books, online courses, apps, and network of certified consultants. And now they're sharing their experiences as nurses, business owners, and moms with you, completely unfiltered. Welcome to the Moms on Call podcast with Jennifer Walker and Laura Hunter. We have a great show for you today. First of all, we're going to talk about the first month of having a new baby in the house because Morgan, who runs everything behind the scenes for us, just brought home her beautiful daughter, Poppy. And that brought back so many memories of the first weeks we welcomed new babies into our homes. Then we're going to take your calls about three of the biggest issues of raising toddlers, like stubborn eaters, potty training, and bedtimes. And of course, we will end with the good stuff. And this one is all about the doggies. We cannot forget our fur kids. So before we get started, we want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. The Moms on Call community never ceases to amaze us. And last week, you made us the number three podcasts in our category. There are millions of podcasts in the world. So to be number three is huge. We appreciate you listening, subscribing, and most of all, telling all your friends about us. And to show our appreciation, we are giving away, get this, over 1,000 
$500 worth of prizes to one listener. The first thing we're going to tell you about is a full year supply of formula from Bobby. Yes, and Bobby is meets the US standards. It's organic. It's inspired by the EU standards. So you can get European formula now here in America, like without having to break the law? Yes. <laughs> okay. Awesome. And it may even come with a baguette. Now that would, <laughs> that would be great. And then there's the slumber pot. This is your favorite, Laura. Oh my gosh. I would so have one of those for those vacations to put those little ones in and give them their own space. Woo. And then this is always so funny because these Colgate mattresses, Laura and I tried to get them to make like an adult sized one. But right now the babies are getting all the love. They are going to get a Zen baby two stage crib mattress with cool coat from Colgate mattresses. And they're right here in Atlanta. Yes. And do you remember the doctor that made the nose bot? We love seeing him on the moments. Yes. Mm. So he has the nose bot baby nasal aspirator that we're giving it away from. Dr. Knows Best. And what's this $100 gift card from Gerber Children's Wear? Have you seen that new line called Moments? Oh, it's awesome. It's delicious. And the perfect sunnies for your little one from Babyators, in case, you know, they're just trying to have to look cool on the beach. Yes, and they can look cool with hearts and stars. It's so great. (laughs) And a brushy set from the Brushies Official. To help brush those teeth. I know. But the best thing, what I'm most excited about is the complete book set, Swaddle Blanket from Moms on Call that just replicates your tender embrace. They're large and soft and has babies sleeping through the night all over the world. Yes, Anna, all three online courses. I love those because you can see us. You can watch Laura cooking in the kitchen, telling you all about all kinds of different baby foods and textures and just every bit of information in three-minute increments you can imagine. And we've got the Electrofan sound machines, the classic version, and the travel sound machine. I want to fall asleep right now. That's right. (laughs) And the Bibs pacifiers, which are some of our favorites. By now, you're wondering how to get all this stuff. It's so easy. Subscribe to this podcast, listen to every single episode, and have so much fun with us. And then find us on Instagram, Moms on Call, and look for the contest post from May 20th. Tag everyone you think might enjoy this podcast, and you're entered to win. You have until June 2nd to do that, so good luck. Today, Jennifer, we are talking about all things that happened those first four weeks because we have baby Poppy recently, and we are so excited, and we cannot wait uh, to just love on her. And um, But those first four weeks, it's tough. Do you remember those first four weeks? Oh, yeah. I remember um, my first son and bringing him home, and you practically had to wear a hazmat suit. Like, as a pediatric nurse, you know all the things, all the germs, you know too much. And so everybody teases me. They were like, in order to hold Grayson, like, we literally had to practically don a hazmat suit, like, wash our hands, do all the stuff. But then fast forward to, like, Hamilton and Bryce— And literally, I think when they were like, I don't know, three, they're like, hey, mom, what's this brown thing in the couch? Looks like a raisin. I'm like, well, eat it. If it doesn't taste like a raisin, spit it out. (laughs) And that sums up the experience of those first four weeks. You know, it's just that the first time around, you just, you're worried and just so Well, I think it's the unknown, right? And we're just, we don't know. We've never done this before when it's your first kid. And and 
I just really think when I think back to those first four weeks, you know, and of course, you know, between the two of us, we have eight now. And that was a very long time ago. In fact, our, you know, the last one of our eight is graduating this year. And that just doesn't even seem right. But when I think well, we back, have to say we have nine now, because now I have a girl. She married in. Right? <laughs> yes. And that's what can't so forget fun. my girl. So when I think back, especially with that first and being as young as I was, mm-hmm. I realized I knew nothing. And that might have been even better because that was back in a time where we didn't have the internet. We didn't have things in our pocket constantly telling us what we're doing, how we're doing it, whether we're doing it right, whether we're doing it wrong. And that kind of freedom, like parents don't have that so much these days. We're like, am I doing it right or am I doing it wrong? So much of it can translate into, am I doing it wrong? Like, I don't know how we embrace that so much more for some reason, but yeah. So there is a beauty to (laughs) kind of winging some stuff and tapping into something that is like this inner parent that is within you and it trumps the internet and it trumps, you know, the advice of 10 people that you didn't ask advice from in the first place. And we always say like, find a couple of trusted voices that are invested in the outcome. And, you know, those things make it easier. A couple parents that like, you know, have a few kids you feel like are relatively have it together or have a great perspective that's similar to yours. Those voices are so important and powerful. Did you have that? I know I had that. At that point, my mom was still alive, so at least I had some of that influence uh, coming Mm -hmm. in. But then you, you know, fast forward eight years later when we have Allison and we are in California. There's no family. We didn't have a ton of friends. My husband was traveling a ton. And I had an older kid at that point. So you talk about survival, I was in survival mode. And I think a lot of families find themselves in that survival mode, especially those first few weeks. And I think you touched on something that's so important, which is having and being the voice of hope in somebody else's life. Like I had, my mother-in-law is an angel of all angels, and she lived down the street and she taught me so much. My mom taught me so much. But, you know, there are a lot of people who feel alone. Yeah. And if you're one of those people, make a list. If somebody were to come to you and say, how can I help you? Oftentimes we're like, no, 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 I got it. We don't want to be seen. We don't want to depend on anybody. We don't want to be seen as being in need. We want to feel like we have it all together. But you can have all those things and get the help that you need when it's offered. Like, yes. Uh, I have a load of laundry. Like, could you? People will help in so many ways. Could you take my older kid to the park? Could you? Which is to me, that's huge. It, it's those little. Hey, just come and take the three-year-old out for a walk for a few blocks, and you know, just so that you can do the three or four things that need to get done, and the expectations of what things are supposed to look like those first mm. few weeks. It's not like TV. Or the baby comes into the scene for a minute, barely makes any noise, and then, like, everybody goes on with all the details of their life as if this baby is not consuming every moment of feeding and changing. And, yeah, it's not like that. Make a list of three or four things in preparation for somebody. If they come and ask you if you need help, have it ready. 
oh my gosh, just go grab some breakfast food and drop off at the doorstep, you know? Could you go get me some Crocs? My shoes don't fit anymore. <laughs> For a couple weeks, I just got home and I can't fit in any of my shoes. Right. That is so, that, yes, I forgot how that, how you're, yes, how are our, you know, those things we don't mention because Jennifer hates the word. <laughs> don't. And already you're going to tell people my kryptonite. Baby feet are adorable. Baby, I can say baby feet. I could kiss baby feet all day. It's all fine. Except for well, my oldest son, <laughs> the stinkiest. I mean, even as a toddler, it was just amazing the scent that came off of those feet. But after toddlerhood, we're done. Then feet are nasty. That's right. Feet are nasty. <laughs> and especially those teenage boy feet. Those are, are the worst. So, all right. But I want to talk some practical stuff. So, okay. I remember a dad who called because, you know, you and I were taking these calls late at night after hours. I had this dad call me. And the first thing he says is, I need to know if I need to call 911. And I'm like, well, hold on. Let's, you know, what's going on? And he says, well, I just went to change my two-week-old's diaper. And when I changed the diaper, there were these crystals throughout the whole diaper. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, are you talking visible crystals that you can feel or the smears? You know, sometimes those first couple of weeks, you'll have a little bit of a crystallized appearance in the diaper. And that's just because they're still up in their amounts to to drink. Did you just call that the smears? The smears. Yeah, you know, (laughs) those little orangish, reddish smears. You mean like a skid mark? Pretty much. Okay. Yeah. Pretty much, a, a, but not from stool. It's from because they're still trying to get that intake of fluid up. So you'll have a little bit of a orangey kind of crystal. Look, no, this was, he says, no, you can feel them and I can scoop them up in my hand. And I'm okay. like, oh, no, we do not need to call 911 because that just means you had a very full diaper and the diaper busted. And so the inside of the that diaper had leaked out and poured all over the place. And it sucks up all the, the urine. So it makes these crystals that you can literally scoop up. And uh, so I saved the day. I wish that I had not put a diaper in the washing machine that one time. Because let me tell you how many of those are embedded in a diaper. And they're soft. So they're kind of soft and squishy. They're not like, you know, hard like a crystal would be necessarily. They're beads, like wet and mushy. They are like soft little beads. And it was everywhere. The whole interior of my washing machine was (laughs) filled with kind of clearish little moisture-filled beads. And it took forever to clean that out. It was like a top loader. And I'm short. I'm five foot three and a quarter, people. I I don't know why I had a top loader. Like, I can't even get to the bottom of that with my arm. So I'm half, like, half my body's inside this washing machine. (laughs) Like, my feet are up off the floor as I'm in there trying with a paper towel, like, trying to scoop all that out of there. So what you need to learn from today's podcast is don't wash... (laughs) A disposable diaper accidentally in the washing Mm -hmm. machine, you know. Um, All right. So, Jennifer, what what can families realistically expect? Let's just break it down. Those first couple of weeks, you're just getting home. You are in survival mode. The family is learning how this works. We're learning to dance. We're learning, you know. And when I say dance, I'm also talking about 
you know, actually bouncing and, and dancing sometimes. But what does, let's, let's help families really know what those first couple of weeks look like. Well, in the first couple of days, like you are still so in love with this baby. You barely want to sleep because you just want to look at it. Adrenaline high, right? I mean, out the roof. Right. And it's almost about like 10 days to two weeks, some earlier than that, depending on, you know, what your birth experience was like. Um, But then you start to get so exhausted and you really figure out what you need to know and whether or not things are working the way you want them to. And you start to get tired. And the baby for the first two weeks is super sleepy. So you're always feeling like you're having to, you know, get the baby alert enough to feed. Because that birth weight, right? I mean, we worry and focus so much on that birth weight versus what that weight's going to be at the two-week mark. And in between those two weeks, that weight is so important. But yet these babies want to sleep all the time. Well, they lose weight in the first week of life and then regain it by two weeks. So, yeah, so it's just like getting used to the outside world. Everybody just wants to stare at this baby, and you want to hold the baby all the time, especially if it's your first. Um, can, can I just say that we just saw a picture of baby Poppy? and the I cheek- wanted to climb through the phone. It was all cheeks. I just loved it. Carry on. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so that's like... That's that first couple of days. You're still in the high. And then, yes, so you settle into this routine. You start to really realize, you know, the baby's waking up more. They're more alert. They're regaining their birth weight. Go to that first visit to the pediatrician. When I first went, I literally had a diaper bag the size of, like, my pool bag <laughs> <laughs> that I would, you know, take for the entire day. Um, and I probably had 18 diapers in there and we worked at a pediatrician's office. Like I got there and the doctor that I worked for was like, in what scenario, Jennifer, did you think you might require 18 diapers for this one 20 minutes visit here? I'm like, I don't know. I just want to be prepared. You've got car seats and you're sorting out all this stuff and putting together. Know how to do that car seat. Prior to the delivery of that baby. So know how to put those babies in, practice with a baby doll, make sure you talk. There are, you know, some, a lot of times the local fire departments or they'll have car seat safety people around. So check in your area, Um, but make sure you know how to put this baby in the car seat correctly and safely. And if you have multiple children, like we do, like we had eight kids, where did all your kids sit in your car, Laura? Oh my gosh. So everybody was in the back until I think Kayla, the oldest, was probably about 12. And we finally allowed her to kind of sit up at the front because we had to have all the other car seats and stuff in the back. So the we had a van. Yes, we had a van, even though I, yeah, I would never have a van. It was the best decision we ever made. Rocking the minivan. So rocked it. And the middle had the captain seats, and so that the back seat was the long bench seat. Um, and so, you know, I had four. I had four kids in car seats at one time. So we would put the the newest, the youngest member of our family would be in that middle row, even though I didn't have a middle seat. They were in that middle row. And then the older ones that that could kind of climb to the back would be in that back row with their car seat. Um, 
All right, so now that we're two weeks of age and past the birth weight, which is, you know, we say that over and over and over again. In all of our resources, we need these babies healthy. We need them two weeks of age. We need them past their birth weight. Then we can kind of step back and say, okay, how, what, does, what do these days look like? And, and how can we begin to implement some of the moms on call routines and, and getting that going? Well, and let's talk about how we came up with those. Because <laughs> you had, I think it was when Brent was little, your youngest, what we call little handsome, which is funny only because they're all so handsome. And um, little handsome got here and you're writing out like, and on the basis of how many babies do you think between us over, like we've been doing this for, I mean, we've been pediatric nurses over like 25 years apiece. Oh, yeah. And yeah, so... <laughs> The routines are exactly what we saw with all of these babies cumulatively. Like these rhythms were just, they followed the same natural rhythm over and over again. And when you had Brent, we're like, let's write that out. Yeah. And and so we would write that down and 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 was implementing. We had always implemented some sort of this. And and you'll often hear from Jennifer and I, you know, I am um, more of a absolute to the second routine follower and Jennifer. If we can hit it 15 minutes on either side, I'm good. Yeah, I like the right-hand line and the left-hand line. You know, we'll land somewhere in the middle. I've always loved how you said that the very beginning. We've always been kind of those routine people, but especially when you add more kids in, we've, we're finding that routines do give you freedom and predictability. And so writing that down and then being able to watch it play out with purpose, because prior to Mom's on Call, we were doing it, but, you know, there was, it wasn't purposeful necessarily. Then to be purposeful and to kind of get it out there with our clients, with our personal clients that we were walking life out with, uh, is really, really when we were like, wow, wait, okay, there's something here. And, you know, those first couple of weeks are crazy, but after about that, you know, second week or so, you can begin to put that right-hand line and left-hand line in place. I think, like, when you, again, when you have one kid, you have a lot more leeway as to, like, how, you know, who can run this show. Yep. But when I had the twins, like, I wouldn't say it was super scheduled before that at all. Like, that, I knew that in order to survive— and in order to, you know, serve well and be a mom to three kids at once, that we had to do this. And they loved it. They thrived on it so much. And you and I have seen this time and 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 time again. That the predictability of a routine, a right-hand line and a left-hand line, works with their natural rhythms and just they just respond to it so beautifully. It just makes life so much easier. It's not the only way to do it, but we've just seen so many families really benefit from it. And it makes it so nice. And that allows us to move from survival to sustainable. And that's the goal. These first four weeks, relax, give yourself some grace, begin to implement those routines once they're two weeks of age and past that, that birth weight. And the other thing is to find some people and to let people help you. Get Allow people to bring you a meal or to take the toddler out or to do a load of laundry because, you know what, these first four weeks can be tough. But not only find the people, but 
be the people. Be the person that will take something off of somebody else's list and do it no questions asked. We love taking your questions. Give us a call at 888-234-7979. Hi, moms. My name is Jessica, and I'm from Cumming, Georgia. I have three children, four and under. What I would like to know is how do you get an almost three-year-old to eat dinner? She holds the food in her mouth until she basically gags. For an example, yesterday she had a piece of waffle in her mouth for 30 minutes, and I'm not even exaggerating. She rarely eats dinner, and then 20 minutes after dinner is over, she wants a snack. We have refused giving her a snack, but I feel bad that she is going to bed starving. I have tried being a short-order chef, playing hardball, ignoring it, etc. This whole process ruins dinner every single night. Any advice is much appreciated. Thank you. Jessica, we love this question because you are not alone. We manage this all over the world, and I love that you asked it. One of the resources that we have developed that is going to be so helpful to you is go. It's an app. It's called the Toddler by Design app, and we're going to see exactly what she's looking for. What is it that she's getting out of this interaction that is actually being a motivator? And that helps us to be able to address it very personally, personalize it to exactly the way she's designed. But if I had to take a guess, I'm going to take a guess. I'm going to say that she's probably a social kid. There's five primary designs of toddlers, and they're all a combination, but usually one is pretty dominant. And we call it the smart paradigm. It's social, movement, an engineer, rule follower, and touch. And the social kids at feeding time, they're often trying to get a reaction out of you. And especially right around that three-year mark, that is the height of when a social kid is trying to explore some of what I call the dark side of (laughs) the emotions. They want to see frustration, how that plays out on you. And so you get into this um, familiar exchange. And there are a couple things, great things that we can do. It is okay to put an end time on mealtime. So if we have to spit out a piece of waffle after, you know, 10 minutes, they usually have a 10 to 15 minute mealtime tolerance window. And yeah, so we can get her to spit it out. And I know that you said you feel bad that she goes to bed hungry. She has chosen to go to bed hungry. She's so resilient. As long as we're not dealing with any issues with growth and development, she's not falling off the growth chart then it's totally fine to allow her to do what she chooses. But we're also going to use that social design and we're going to feed into it in the good ways. So we want to have great reactions when we eat. We're going to eat our food. We're going to act like it's the funnest and best thing that ever happened and engage when you have that many kids. I think she just wants a little bit of that one-on-one eyeballs on the prize kind of thing. And try and catch her doing the things that are helpful, the desired behaviors, and then make sure that you give a good reaction to those things. And that can often help. And one thing is don't overwhelm with the amounts of food. Mm, A lot of times at three years old, if we're putting five, 10 pieces of three or four different food groups on the tray, it's just overwhelming. Mm -hmm. So try putting two or three pieces of two or three different food groups on the tray and let or on her plate. She's three. She should be able to eat that on off of her <laughs> plate. Um, and, you know, but put two or three pieces. Don't overwhelm with full adult serving sizes of food. Hey, moms. My name is Lindley, and I have two kids. I have a son who's five, almost six, and a daughter who's three and a half. And my one question that I would love your help with is related to potty training. 
Um, my son was amazing and did it in three days' time and was potty trained day and night um, with no, like, bedwetting or anything. Um, but my three-and-a-half-year-old, while she's potty trained during the day and doing great with it during the day, no accidents or anything, she can't quite um, make it through the night. And so I'm curious if there's any tips that you can have um, to share on how to help her make it through the night um, so we can get rid of those silly pull-ups. I appreciate your help, and I'm excited for your podcast. Thanks. We love that question because at three and a half, it's not unusual for them to not have control uh, of those uh, bowel and bladder bladder. habits. Yeah. It takes usually between three and five before they can wake up dry for about a week to two weeks in a row. And that's when we're going to get rid of those pull-ups. Pull-ups are just for sleep times until they wake up a week to two weeks in a row dry. And that means they've just developmentally caught up. And one thing that you can do is begin to kind of limit those fluids towards those evening hours. So let's not give an eight-ounce sippy cup of, <laughs> of water at, you know, 7.30 at bedtime. So if we'll start around dinner time, just beginning to kind of decrease those fluids, a lot of times that will help as well. And just being patient. Kids are so different. It is always like this. One is a rule follower. They just, you know, did everything in three days because you told them that they were supposed to. I want one of those. I want one of those. (laughs) Look, they can get bossy. Look out (laughs) out for what you wish for. Um, And then, you know, I want you to be able to give yourself permission for these kids to be different, progress at different levels. And sometimes we get in that comparison trap because it's the only other thing that we have to compare it to. So we love that we get to speak into the experience that we've had with thousands and thousands of children all over the world in these kinds of situations. And what we'd like to say is, you're normal. You're doing great, Mama. Just wait a little bit longer, and things are going to sort themselves out. Hi, Moms. My name is Kelly. I have a five-year-old, and I have a question about bedtime. We are having um, some issues in the evening with her being able to settle down and fall asleep. Sometimes it's taking her an hour and a half to two hours to end up falling asleep at night. Um, We don't want to move her bedtime any later because she is no longer napping. So we feel like we're just kind of stuck in this cycle and we're not really sure what we need to change to get out of it. So I would love any advice that you have. Thank you. That is a great question as well. And we do. Some of these kids just have so much energy to kind of get out towards those evening hours. One of my best advice, one of my best tips is to make sure we are intentional with that get up in the morning time. And it's the engineers. So again, in the smart paradigm, the five primary motivators of toddlers, social movement, an engineer, rule follower, and touch. Let me tell you who has the hardest time napping and the hardest time getting to sleep is an engineer because they have all this mental energy that they have to expend. And it's not quite the same. Like movement kids, they drop like rocks and fall asleep. Why? Because you were chasing them around all day. They had all this physical energy that they typically are able to get out. But kids that have all that mental energy, just really smart, and they just put things together. They want to know how things work. If this describes your child, then there is not something that you can do. It's just a very natural progression of allowing them to have that hour where their mind just has to power down. And keeping additional stimulation out of their sleep environment is so helpful to that. So we're not kind of giving them more things to think about. 
and knowing that sometimes it does, it does take an hour. And just like Laura said, make sure your wake up time is solid. Follow the guidelines that we have and the mom's on call, typical daily schedules, and know that we are going to parent the kid we got. And so that's not necessarily even something that we need to fix. Check out the Toddler by Design app. There's more um, tips. You can take a little quiz so you can see like what combination of motivators that your child has. Um, But we just want to give you a bit of encouragement. We have both had kids like this and um, they do take a little bit more time, but it's okay. We don't have to fix that for them. We love taking your questions. Give us a call at 888-234-7979. If it's a medical question, make sure to send that to your pediatrician, but send all your parenting questions to us. We've got you. We always love leaving you with the good stuff, and this is one of our favorite things. So we always say your kids are strong, adaptable, and resilient, and so are you, but we don't want to mention that your pets are also strong, adaptable, and resilient. 100%. Some of the they've been through. Like we both have rescue dogs and they came through so much to come into our families and love us. They did. And so MotorWorks Brewing Company in Bradenton, Florida, they actually do a spin on, you know how we, in the olden days, they would put the faces of the missing kids on the milk cartons. Mm-hmm. Well, they now put the dogs for that are up for adoption on their beer cans. <laughs> okay. It's the best. Yes, there was a bookstore in Asheville, North Carolina that was a wonderful place. And they would do um, an adoptable dog right in their little coffee area. And once that dog got adopted, they'd get the next one. So all the people coming in to read books or get coffee would get to see this dog that was available for adoption. I just thought it was the greatest thing to do. That is the best way. Because if you can get these sweet dogs in front of people, in front of families, we can really get a huge amount adopted. There's a lot of cat people out there, too. Okay, cats, too. Yes. (laughs) You can can adopt the cats, you dogs gerbils. There's just, this is, there's all kinds all of kinds. pets you could get. That's <laughs> we right. just both happen to have dogs. <laughs> That's right. And we have loved our rescue dogs. So if you're considering uh, a dog, make sure, or a, or a cat, make sure you head out to one of your local rescue places. Oh yeah. And they say that having pets for small kids makes them less likely to have allergies. Brilliant. So consider, I don't know that you can get a prescription for that or your insurance will cover it, but it's still a great idea. Thank you for listening to the Moms on Call podcast. Please visit momsoncall.com for more resources to help you parent with confidence and thrive, not just survive this amazing parenting journey.